insurance agents from around the world. Hey, guys, this is Scott Howell with the Insurance Guys podcast. Hey, I've got a question for you guys. How many service calls do you get a day? How about a week? How about a month? More importantly, how many of those calls are revenue generating? If not, why are you still taking those calls? The reality is that clients don't want to call their agent for things like documents, billing, service requests. These are considered non-revenue generating activities that can and should be handled with a client experience platform, CXP. The rule of thumb is, can you rely on your technology to fully accomplish the same thing being asked over the phone? If the answer is yes, give the client that option, please. Now is the time to look into a CXP for your agency, a client experience platform. A CXP is a core system at your agency, just like your AMS, just like your CRM, just like your Raider. Having a client experience platform like Glovebox gives you a leg up on the competition and allows you to focus on sales, which we better all be focusing on because nothing else matters, and high-level service. Get a demo today with one of the Glovebox gurus and mention the Insurance Guys podcast to get 20% off your new CXP. Trust me when I say it's time to jump on the Glovebox platform. I know we've done it here in our agency. We love it. We're desperately trying to get all of our clients on the Glovebox platform, guys. Desperately. We want them on there. We want them to go get their ID cards there. We want to reduce the number of times they call the agency, and and that frees us up to do more selling. That's all it does. Call today, get a demo, and join Glovebox. Take care. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Saraland, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm great, Scott. How are you today? Best I have ever been. All hell is breaking loose at my office right now. 40 mile per hour straight line winds. Oh, yeah. You're going to have weather today. SPC of three out of five today, which means you'll probably see a tornado today if you're up here. Uh, people calling in wanting insurance at the last second. Bradley, I have a very important uh, announcement to make today. Would you like to hear it? Sure. You retiring? Uh, would like to. Would <laughs> love to. I don't think I've ever worked as hard in my career in insurance as I have the past three months. I can attest to that since we've known each other. You've been, you've been, as you say, you've been shucking the corn down the last man. Uh, I've been hat down over weeks. the eye serious. I have you, got you messed to get up this... and went to Gatlinburg and then came back and it was just like, oh, uh, you know. well, I got to get this agency to $5 million in revenue before I can retire. And I'm trying to do that as fast as I possibly can. The happiest day of my life is when I get on here and tell y'all I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> 
Bradley, we need to talk today. Okay. And here's who we need to talk about today. Okay. We need to talk about Mr. Jalen Knowles. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go ahead and put Jalen Knowles on blast today. Angela's going to love this. Jalen, Jalen, I'm speaking directly to you today. And before I tell you what Jalen has done, let's just talk about what Jalen is looking at right now. So here we go, guys. It was very timely with the podcast two weeks ago. Jalen, here's what you're looking at. Mail theft or (laughs) obstruction of correspondence, which is a federal crime, by the way, carries a $250,000 fine and up to five years in federal prison. And then we're looking at state charges of forgery of a financial document or instrument, which is a class B felony in the state of Alabama, carries two to 20 years in prison and up to $30,000 in fines. So Jalen, if you're out there listening to this today and you're not, I can promise you that this is like the last podcast Mr. Jalen Knowles would be listening to. Jalen decided to take a $19,771 refund check that I personally had sent back to a client out of the mail. Then he not very professionally whited out the name on the check and hand wrote his name on the check. And on February the 7th, cashed a $19,771 check that uh, when this podcast ends and we hit stop, Scott has to go file a police report. And then Scott has to uh, send in the police report with an affidavit from my client that says that they don't have any idea who Jalen Knowles is, along with a banking fraud affidavit, and then that money will be put back in my account. It was very obvious when you looked at the check. I can't believe anybody would have cashed this, but you've got my handwriting on the check, and then Jalen doesn't even try to copy my handwriting he just writes it like in his handwriting and so that's where we are with that today bradley i'll be leaving this podcast when we hit stop i'll be going to the huntsville police station to file a police report so i have feelings i have a couple things to say on this one the only thing i wish he would have done is i wish he would have done it before we did the podcast with mike fusco two weeks ago about agency bill because that would have been a great tie-in so i'm really disappointed in you man for for waiting two weeks to do it Secondly, let's play Dateline on NBC here a second. So in my opinion, as someone who watches a lot of Dateline on NBC at night, love that one, show. one of it's a good show. Keith Morrison, man. Keith Morrison's awesome. Yeah. What did Jalen do with the what, That's my Keith Morrison impression. Uh, so one of two things happened. Either he deposited it electronically. No, I looked on the, I've okay. got the back of the check. You know oh, where yeah. you can put, you put the check mark where it says yeah, yeah, remote yeah. deposit did not do that. Well, of course you could to, still do it. I know to be fair, saying. to be fair. I never checked that box and all my stuff's electronic. So right, he could right. have done it electronically, in which case Correct. it would not have been cashed. It would have been deposited, Correct. which probably makes, was going to make it easier for you to prosecute. Sure. Or he was somehow in cahoots with the person at the bank that cashed the check. Those two things that you just said is exactly what Clinton Orr said yesterday. He said one of those two things had to have happened. I told Laurel what happened last night, and I said, you're not going to believe what happened to Scott today, and I told her what happened. I showed. Oh, if if people know me, they would be like, oh, I can a thousand percent believe that. She said. thousand percent. Good God, the craziest stuff happens to him. Dude. (laughs) 
Dude, I had a question yesterday for the Podcasters United group, which is supposed to be the cream of the crop in the insurance industry. Nobody answered Cricket. Crickets. Nobody could even answer my question. Yeah. I'm telling you guys, whatever situation you've run into, don't tell me about it. Because if you do, I'm just going to look at you and go, yeah, already been through that. Already done it. Well, it's like the client that I, well, I had a client recently that tried to commit fraud that forged something and. I'm like, are they sure they didn't get, confused, get me confused with Scott? Like, was that supposed yeah. to be me? You know? Right. Anyway. This has to be one of Scott's clients. Has to be. Has to be. Guys, yeah. we have a very special podcast for you today. And and Bradley, going back to the forged check thing, <laughs> real quick, before we yeah. get to our, our wonderful guest that I'm excited to have on the show today, we need to do a podcast. I was thinking about this this morning. We need to do a podcast on getting somebody on the show either an agent that's been through this or an attorney to talk about this or a carrier rep to talk about this. I probably personally know four or five agents that have had employees steal the money. And we have never done a podcast on yeah. that. So if you're an agent out there listening that has been through, and this kind of rolls mm -hmm. into our podcast today, by the way, yeah. If you're in, and may, maybe we talk about it today. Hell, I, don't, I guess we can. She's shaking her head like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's get to it, guys. Let's just get to it. Guys, our mission on this podcast is to help you agents in any way you we can. So when you listen to this podcast today, for the rest of your life, you're going to say, you know, 10 years from now, when somebody steals a $20,000 check out of the mailbox and fraudulently puts it in the bank, you're going to go, ha, ha, ha. I know somebody that's been through this. His name is Scott Howell, and he has the craziest situations that have ever happened in the history of insurance happened to him. Call me, text me, email you, email me. I'll tell you what I did to fix it, okay? Let's get to our guest today, and I'm so happy to give her the introduction that she's always deserved. She was born, raised, and lives in Houston, Texas. She is a graduate of Southern Methodist University, acquiring a BBA in insurance and BA in history in 1984. She has 20 plus years of experience placing professional liability for insurance agents, brokers, MGAs, insurance companies, and other specialty lines. Her goal has always been to listen to her clients and develop solutions for each situation. Hell, that's what I do every single day. Number four, her outside volunteer work includes the American Cancer Society, Houston Livestock Show, and Rodeo, which has donated over $500 million to graduating high school students in the state of Texas and loves a good game of tennis or a round of golf. She is president of the U.S. ENO Brokers, a family-owned insurance business launched in 1976 and program manager for Insurance Agents ENO Program with Wesco Insurance Company. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you first time guest on the IGP, Miss Angela Schroeder. How are you, Angela? I'm doing great, guys. Y'all have already hit all the good topics already, and we haven't even gotten to talk about insurance agency and own yet. I tell Thanks. people, Scott always delivers. He'll be on other podcasts, and then they'll talk about how good it is. I said, my boy always delivers. Angela, I have an office next door to me. I can move my office mate out. He's with a uh, 
more uh, uh, commercial real estate company. I will move him out and just, I need you as I, I need a full-time compliance officer right here <laughs> that I can walk into and say, it sounds like it. You've never heard of this before. You're probably going to have to go to a legal library and look a lot of this up, but I need help. You know, it's helpful though, that your entire family are lawyers and judges, Scott. I have them all on speed dial, brother. I have to have them. I think God gave me all of them because they knew what kind of shit show I was going to be in over here. Mm -hmm. Angela, we have got a lot to talk about today, but before we do climb in my DeLorean, take me back in time to Southern Methodist University, SMU. Well, we had a great time back in the day. Of course, we had some great football players, Eric Dickerson and Craig James. And, oh, we won every football game. It was a dream back then. But uh, I, since I, saw, then, I saw the 30 for 30 on you guys. It was a oh, lot yeah, of fun back know. then. Hey, hey, it's not my fault that Eric Dickerson had a Trans Am that was maroon right. that was given to him by Texas A&M. I, okay. He drove that around the SMU campus all the time. So, uh, so there was no payment. There was nothing going on in college nothing. football nothing. with regards to payments or cars or anything. Okay. I agree. Only, only SMU got caught because they were the smallest ones. No, just kidding. But that was, those were good days. That were how, how ironic that now they're all getting paid. Yes. At the end of the day. <laughs> right. Um, Hey, and by the way, just so that everybody has a, a point of history. So when you went to SMU and you took insurance, well, there was one insurance professor. And so I had the same insurance professor my dad had when he graduated in 1955. Wow. So the guy was a young guy then. And then uh, he, he continued on with life, health, property, casualty. And we all had to go to the state of Texas, to the state of Austin or Austin, Texas. We all had to take a tour of the insurance department. We had to meet our regulators because one day we were going to meet them one way or the other. And so... <laughs> all had to go. Uh, and we uh, had a great time in college. And But the education on insurance and business was great because it's like being a lawyer or anything else. There's just a lot of history to it, you know, and Absolutely. it was fun. It's fun. It's, it's good to know. It's fun. It's a, it's a great industry based on past experience. And uh, I guess I must like timelines in history because I studied a lot of it. Well, you know, Alabama has an insurance, is it the insurance museum? Oh, Scott, I don't know. it's at the University of Alabama. You know, what would be funny is you and I should go tour that oh and bring Grant along gosh, with us. That like, would be it. I got, I'm going to do some research on it, because if it's just like an eight by eight room, then that would be a big disappointment. But if it's like a big facility, we're going to do that. Hey, I'll tell you all one thing. One of these magazines, industry magazines that's now digital, I think. And I can't remember which one it is. It's not Rough Notes. It was another one came out with about two months ago, they came out with the top 10 insurance collegiate programs in the country. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I think Purdue, Penn State. I can't remember who all was on there. I remember Florida State was on there, I believe. Mm -hmm. There was the top 10 Troy programs. Troy was probably the on there, wasn't it? Who? Troy. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember who. It, I don't remember all 10 of them. I just remember a couple of names that were in there. Mm -hmm. But there. There are, you know, quite a few universities. Obviously, SMU is one of them where you can take, you know, Alabama, University of Alabama has an insurance risk management degree that you can get mm -hmm. an entire, I believe, a department, insurance department. Correct. Yeah. So, Angela, I'm a medium. These insurance agents channel questions through me during the podcast. So all, all this stuff's jumbled up in my head. 
But I guess let's start back with what we were just talking about. Maybe start with a start and end with the end. I'm an insurance agency owner. One of my people, let's say Justin Miller, starts stealing the premium in my agency. And I don't know it. It's happening, but I don't know it. This happens all over the U.S., guys. I know four or five agents that have had this happen. What are the ramifications of that? You are an expert in this industry in terms of E&O. Talk a little bit about that, what happens. Especially from an E&O perspective. Yeah. And so one of the things that happens all the time, and and by the way, these types of dishonesty, I'm going to call it dishonesty, in a lot of agencies, they have happened over time. They weren't a one-time occurrence. They've been going on for 10 years. And typically it's somebody who comes in that starts with the receptionist area, moves in and starts handling some things day to day. And they happen, I've seen them happen as long as 20 years. And so when you wake up and you realize those funds are gone, then you have a problem because now you have to persecute that person in some sort of either and, and, prose- and prosecute and that prosecute person them. and <laughs> you have to turn and prosecute <laughs> right and i mean i'm telling you i've seen them where they went out and bought patio furniture uh, they're reselling patio furniture they've they've actually opened a separate american express card mm-hmm. in the owner's name and is sending the american express card through payables yeah. and yet they're buying merchandise and somehow that card's getting paid uh so it does happen and it can be a financial it could be a financial problem when it gets down to physically accounting for those dollars. Cause a lot of times people have a lot of cash flow and they don't realize anything's happening until they go to make something happen. And it's like, well, this, where, where is that? And then they mm-hmm. discover it. You I'll know, tell you the worst one. Uh-huh. The worst one is gambling. Mm. Um, people have gambling problems. And so to go pay that debt, or to continue, um, I've seen I've seen it happen with families, uh, you know, and 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 it basically takes down the agency. Um, it takes down the family estate basically because the the family was, you know, uh, involved in the agency. So it happens to everyone, and you're not free unless you have good checks and balances in your office with actually two people handling, you know, one handling the cash, one handling deposits. And I know that's hard for small agencies. Well, and not only that, the thing that would concern me as an agency principal more so than the financial piece is the reputation harm from that. Because, I mean, I know all of us know of some agents who've either done that and gotten away with it or been accused of that, or at least I do. I know, I don't know them personally, but I know of a few agents that have, at least there's been rumors swirling years ago, years ago, right? And they're still in business. And I can tell you unequivocally, it it affects their production because we will quote people and they'll be like, well, I'm not going to such and such because of what happened in 1982. You know what I mean? It's the reputation harm. It's, it's, it's the main thing. Well, and you're the trusted and you're the trusted insurance agency and you have people that you trust in your office. And then once mm -hmm. that trust is broken, then you have an issue. And, and by the way, it doesn't just affect the cash flow. These people are taking premium payments. So in some cases, premiums are not going to the carrier. And sometimes it's a very nasty, I say nasty, it's a nasty note when all of a sudden, like, where are these policies? Mm-hmm. And there's there's no policies. They've actually issued a fake policy number and taken premium. Uh, and then the consumer has no product. 
Correct. Uh, have no policy. And and that's that's a whole that's of course the State Department of Insurance gets involved in that. But those are the situations that happen. Yeah. So let me first say this, guys. If you want to lose your agency and not be in the insurance industry anymore, which you have a tremendous opportunity, if you ask Siri on your iPhone which industry in the United in the history of the United States of America has created the most millionaires. She will come back and say the financial services industry, which includes insurance. But if you want to lose your agency, the fastest way you can do it is to stop, start stealing the money. That's the fastest way you can lose your agency. Let me say this. I don't think like a criminal. So when these people tell me these stories of how these employees were doing this, every time I hear one, I think to myself, damn, I'd have never thought of that. And the reason is I don't think like a criminal Mm -hmm. and the most common one that I hear, and this goes right back to what Angela just said is I know one agent principal agent was stealing the money. Okay. Not far from my office, maybe 30, 40 miles from my office. He was stealing the money. Well, here's how he was doing it. Instead of putting the mailing address for the policy documents, the correct address for the insured he was listing the mailing address as his agency. So he's getting all the policy documents. And so these people just assumed that they had an insurance policy. They never got any documents except maybe they'd call and he'd send some kind of, I guess, fake ID card. And so he's getting all these policy documents and just throwing them in the trash and, and keeping their premium every month. And of course, all the policies are canceled. Well, how, not you know a year or less later, somebody has a claim. They're told they don't have a policy. It's like a, it's like a Ponzi scheme. Eventually, somebody's going to try to pull their money out, i.e. have a claim. Yep. But employees, team members can get even more creative than that. They, they can do some stuff that's like you were talking about setting up the Amex card and paying it, blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And then maybe they're just taking out a little bit of the premium. And by the time you try to figure all that out, you uh-huh. could have just sold a bunch of insurance to make Correct. up for it. Like, Correct. Yeah. So how does that, from an E&O standpoint, Angela, let's say an employee does that and there is a claim and there's no coverage, how does that play out from an E&O standpoint on the agency owner's part? Well, here's the best part. It's insurable. So, you know, Alabama has dishonesty bond coverage. So does Texas. You know, you get it from CNA, go write yourself a bond. Um, but uh, you can you can protect yourself through either a crime policy or through dishonesty bond coverage. Now, these guys don't need a lot of coverage. I mean, you have to have checks and balances in your agency. So, you know, for I mean, it's, it's ridiculously cheap. I mean, it's like insurance agents. you know, I mean, we, there's, there's solutions for it, but there's the, the solution has to happen at the beginning, meaning that, you know, you identify the risk and you go ahead and, and do a background check. If you have employment practices, if you don't have that, you can still do a, a background check and you would be surprised how these people go from one agency to another. Yep. Okay. They already know the system. Oh, yep. you don't, you have, you have, what do you have? You have a plot, what, what, what management? Oh, you have QuickBooks. Oh, you know, they just perk right on up and yeah, they're going to be qualified people, but they're just going to go from one agency to the other. Um, and we've actually seen that happen. So, and, and, and Angela, let me stop you right there. That is why every single employee I hire, I look them dead in their face, man to man, woman to woman, kneecap to kneecap. And I tell them, I did the same thing with my bookkeeper. If I catch you stealing the money, 
I will spend every single dime I have to prosecute you. And the reason for that is a lot of these agency owners don't prosecute, you know, this agent 60 miles down the road, they, they don't know, they don't know what happened, but when you prosecute somebody, now they've got a criminal record. Right. And so right. if you do, if they do any right. kind of background check, they're going to, it's going to pop that this person was convicted of fraud. And now that's the only way to keep them from bouncing and bouncing and bouncing to each one of these agencies. So guys, if you catch somebody stealing the money, I don't care what it costs. You've got to prosecute them. So Angela, let's talk about moving forward. Some of the, let's just talk about ENO in general, maybe talk about kind of some of the craziest stories that you've but, dealt with misconceptions, that sort of thing. Before you do that, Angela, I just channeled a question from all these agents. Okay. What is the most common ENO claim that you see? Ooh. Failure to bind. Failure. Failed to bind. Go into detail on that. So pretty, it's pretty easy. So either A, it was Friday afternoon and everybody's going to the football game or whatever they're doing and somebody comes in, puts the app in or, or the request in and it's after five, everybody shut their computer down and we come back on Monday and we're sick, we forgot or whatever. Okay, so that kind of failure and then failure to bind adequate coverage. So the assumption was the insured wanted X, Y, and Z, but we failed to bind uh, the correct amount or we just, we basically just didn't get the whole story, but failure to bind. And so what was the second one? Failure to bind what? An inadequate coverage. Inadequate coverage. Yeah. So came in, you know, uh, had a request for something and we just, just didn't bind the right insurance yeah. or just didn't bind the right amount. Or in some cases just didn't offer, you know, the rest of the coverage. Maybe we only offered part and did not offer the remainder. Um, and it can be flood insurance. It can be anything like that. Right. Uh, but those are the two, those are the two. And remember when we get down to inadequate coverage, that's limits. You know, um, we, we offered minimal limits. Maybe we didn't offer a personal umbrella for hundred dollars. I mean, whatever we didn't do. So those are the two and, and remind yourself that nobody went out and nobody went home today going, I didn't want to buy more customers. Right. Okay. Nobody did that. So what did we do? Well, we need to keep track of who came in, that we bound everything that day, either we collected the money or that's going to be direct bill. Most everything is a procedure, just like collecting cash, you know, a, a journal, uh, you know, and here's what we did today. People that come in to make changes on their policy. Yeah, that's still failure to bind. I mean, you failed to, to, to take that information and put it in the system. Um, so that, you know, they could get that extra car covered or a trailer, uh, trailers, trailers are the worst. If anybody has a trailer that walks into their office, that is the number one failure to add that I've ever seen trailers, trailers. And, and sometimes the, sometimes it's not necessarily that they failed to add it. Nobody went in on these systems and made sure that it attached. All the carriers are screwy with the way they do trailers. Every yeah, they one all of them are different. Yeah. So, so trailers, let's just yeah. focus. If we're going to fail to add something, yeah. make sure it attaches. Just well, and two, you have like progressive. So when you go to quote somebody in progressive, usually it auto pulls the vehicles by the VIN registered to them, but it won't pull a trailer because a trailer is not necessarily registered in the same way. And there's no national 
uh, standardization of of serial numbers for trailers like there are VIN numbers. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so to me, that can make a lot of sense because if I'm quoting Scott's auto and he tells me he has two and I see a third one, hey, what about this one? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that truck. It just sits out back. That's not necessarily going to be the case with the trailer. Right. It's And it's, it's usually something that even on a renewal, but if it was added midterm or something else, it's just something that gets left off. And I yeah. don't know why, again, don't know why it's trailers, but it's trailers. What's the third one? What's the third one? That's that's the first two. Give me one more. What's the third biggest one you see? Jalen still in the check. Well, but, well, there, there's those types of things. Um, I would just say that the, uh, th- those are the two largest. Um, everything else is going to be a situation where yeah. the carrier comes back to you and says, Hey, I needed this pit form. Do you have it? And the agent goes, Oh, I uploaded all those documents 20 years ago, you know, and of course the carrier didn't have those. So documents, um, signed applications so that we're making sure that, you know, when the carrier does come back, we have that signed information because, you know, the carrier's in a bad position if you don't have the signed app and that commercial committed fraud. Now, most of you don't also don't really remember that direct bill. Direct bill is a problem because if you uploaded those documents, travelers, Safeco, whoever, they can't retain those documents forever. So agents have to have a way to, to, to keep and retain these documents. I have people, especially new startups, because they don't, you know, they're they're trying to, to save money and things like that. But if you don't have something you can keep you know, and their computer crashes or whatever else, but you got to have a method to keep documents because mm-hmm. progressive can't keep your documents for 10 years. These people have been on direct bill. Oh my goodness. I mean, Mike, I can, I can tell you, I've been on direct bill right. for, for ages. Right. And so if somebody comes back and there's not a PIP form or whatever, then the carrier is going to have to pay a claim and then they're going to kind of have to come back and subrogate against mm-hmm. the agent. Right. right. Because they had no choice but to pay it. And it's too late to find that form, you know, five months later. When they come yeah. to you, they have a time for good faith to settle a claim. And so good news is your ENO will cover that. Right. But it would be so much faster that you didn't have an ENO claim and you had a document, you know, you had some sort of document retention know, policy or something, or you got those forms re-signed every five years when you had to purge your documents, whatever it is, you know, get a procedure in place so that you're not harmed by a subrogation claim from an insurance company. We had a a new agent start uh, portal two weeks ago and we were training her and uh, she comes from the industry and she said, Hey, what documents do I upload into the AMS when I'm done writing an account? I said, all of them. (laughs) <laughs> everything, everything, all of it. Yeah. Just make sure it's labeled all correctly. All of it. Yeah, yeah, stick it in there. We'll go I, find I, it later. That's one like, value. Like we like to knock on legacy AMSs, but that's one to me. One huge value to a lot of these legacy AMSs is they have document storage and it's there forever. You know, yes. and I think now certs even we actually don't do this. We probably should. I think now certs, which is what we use, has an integration with Google Docs where it'll actually back it up in Google Docs too. So you ha- essentially have two and nobody won't does need search. It when we get, hey, won't need it when we get our blockchain finished, Bradley. There you go. There you go. So Angela, um, let's uh, let's talk about when we, we briefly talked about this beforehand. There's one question that when it is posted in any Facebook group of insurance agents, no matter the Facebook group, the entire group lights itself on fire and self-combusts with people arguing. There will be 508 comments and everybody is disagreeing with everybody 
And I cannot say that I'm not sometimes the one stirring that pot. Should you call your late pays? And is it an ENO exposure if you call your late pays? I will give you the floor. And and just so you guys know, Angela and I slightly disagree on this. I'm not saying she's wrong. I think she's right. So anyway. The, The main thing is that we all have a policy. So either we're doing it or we're not. We cannot play favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, we cannot just choose to, you know, he's always late, but he always pays. We, we have to have a consensus. So the larger agencies have gone to no call um, because they don't have the manpower to continue to call. Um, and then we have and, and then we have COVID, right? Where people are not even in their spot. They're maybe they're not answering texts or whatever. So the methodology, you know, has to be where we do it for all or we do it for none. So either way you want to play it, that's fine. If you're a small agency and you don't have that many customers and you're in control of a lot of it, then, you know, I don't know that it's bad. Um, if, if you don't have control and you don't have a system to keep that going, then you probably need to have some sort of disclaimer. You can have it on your email. You can have it when you quote them that, you know, do it in onboarding, onboarding that, you know, you are responsible for your payment and the ENO claim, by the way, it's not because we do it or we don't. What the ENO claim typically is, is that the insured gets used to either coming into your office to make a payment to an insurance company, right? Because they're always late and you should be directing them directly to the computer in the corner where they can go online and make their payment direct, right? Don't take those payments because it's not that you notified them as much as the method. If you take the money and it's late and they still get canceled, that's where you get in the center of something. And you don't want to be in the middle of that. Um, Premium finance payments, you know, a lot of people on commercial lines, they're premium finance notes. So if that's the case, the premium finance company is contacting them as well. So, you know, you have a backup, but, but the notice should be, if you change bank, listen, you change bank accounts, you change your credit card, you had to change uh, your address, whatever it is. Those are the things that should be on your onboarding. You're responsible and all of these things require a note to your insurance company. Here's your 800 number for progressive or whatever. But people don't always think about it when their account's breached, you know? And so sometimes, you know, it's like, well, gee, you know, Gene never misses a payment and whatever. So that's why you have to be careful. You have to say all, none. You can't have the great divide. And I call some and I don't call the others. Well, and it's like, so I posed this question in an insurance group a few months ago and, and people have misconstrued what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't think if you're, if you're the agency that takes cash payments and nobody is on EFT and you have a bunch of late pays, I don't think you're set up to call them. I think in that case, you should say none, right? But I posed the question to this to this guy that was arguing with me in this group. And I said, okay, we don't call anybody. I said, okay, so you have a $50,000 commercial policy and you know the person somewhat and you notice the day before renewal, it hasn't been paid yet. You're going to call them or not? Everybody's like, hell yes, I'm going to call. You know, like, so when it's posed that way, right? So, but but my argument to this, and I agree with everything you said, by the way, my argument to this is is kind of twofold. 
one, I do acknowledge that is that it is an E&O risk. Two, I do think if you can set your agency up the right way, the benefit from a customer service standpoint outweighs the the potential E&O risk because you know, there's probably 15,000 agents listening to this right now. I bet you three of them can point to a case where somebody was had an E&O claim for this. And I'm sure Angela can, as experienced as you are, you have to set your agency up in the right way. So like what we do is every client goes EFT or pay in full. That's it. Like we don't, we don't write you if you're not EFT or pay in full or, or premium finance, obviously. So that diminishes the late pays tremendously. So Therefore, we don't have a huge pool of late pays to pull from. The second thing we do and that agents should do, if you can't do the first piece, but if you can pair them both together, is have the technology that allows you to follow up with late pays very easily instead of paying Sally or David $18 an hour to sit there and call late pays on Tuesdays. You know, have technology that'll auto text people when their account goes into late pay or have a virtual assistant. We, we do a combo of both. So I think you should set your agency up in a way that it makes you really easy to do it. Because if we're being honest, you know, if you've got a $5 million agency and your ret- retention is affected 1%, that's, that's a lot of money. And that money might be more than the E&O deductible on your policy. Yeah. And, a, and typically right look at it. Yeah. But. Well, and, and also like if it's a new client coming on and onboarding and maybe they are not looking for the payment from the carrier or whatever. I mean, OK, you know, the, the, that first one to get them triggered into yeah. the system, that's one thing. But, you know, here's the other bizarre thing. If you're a non-standard auto guy and you collect. payments every month, they don't usually mess up because they have a system in place where they're coming in and they're accounting for that $50 and those notices go out, whatever. So you have to, so you really have to see what, what are you in? Are you in the collection business? Are you in the, in the, in the customer service business? And then once you get to a point right where, like you said, you have to have a methodology where the only people to follow up on is to make sure he got his new policy because he's a new customer or whatever else. But mm-hmm. you just have to set your bucket down on what you're good at. And technology does help. I mean, texting, whatever, you know, commercial lines is totally different than personal lines. You know, a lot of right. the systems they have texting and whatever. I mean, yeah. if you're going to text me, you know, I'm probably like, what, what, you know, what, you know, but what's going on, you know, um, but, but if you're texting as, hey, a follow up, whatever that, you know, maybe that's fine, but, you know, we have the biggest thing we had during the last, I guess, 24 months was you were trying to reach people and they had already passed away. So, so, you know, I mean, so you, you got one of those right now. Jeannie passed away and you're, and you go, Oh my gosh, I mean, I need to call Jim, the Jeannie, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, ages have a lot on their plate. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, that's my point to the argument is that have a system, And I think a lot of agents could very easily set something up, whether it be from a tech standpoint or from a process standpoint or VA standpoint or whatever. Sure. um, I think they, instead of doing the work to figure that out, hide behind the guise of, oh, it's an E&O claim. We're not going to call anybody. When in fact, you know, if you could spend a little bit of time to set that up, retention to me, retention means more than new business at this point. And the later you get in your career, the more and more retention, 
you know, means, you know, I had an agency owner a few years ago that told me, he's like, I don't care if people tell me I shouldn't do it. Other big agencies tell me I shouldn't do it. He's like, we're calling every late pay. And that guy sold his agency for eight figures. So, right. you know, there is, it's something you got to figure out, you know, Scott. Hey, Bradley. Hey, Scott. Here's what I'm going to tell all these damn agents. Y'all have a really being, good question too. Y'all stop being stuck on stupid. Here's what we all need to do, including me. Here's what I'm going to do. Why can't I just set up a text automation through my AMS system like next week mm -hmm. that, and here's my question to you, Bradley. Hey, Scott. Yeah. That text automation that's the late pay text automation, would mm -hmm. you send that out three days prior to cancellation or the day before or two days before? I try to approach everything of minimizing service as, as much as possible. I would, I would go one to two days. And the way you can set it up in your AMS is most AMSs have some sort of notification system when a policy goes into pending cancel status. So the two ways you would do that is if a download comes in that something's pending cancel or based on the effective date, there's not a renewal set up, right? Right. Um, so what you can do is you could set up, let's say your AMS doesn't have texting. I'm sure there's some sort of email notification, right, Angela? Like, hey, this policy is slipping into pending cancel, or you can notify the customer or your agent or something like that, right? Well, what you could do is you could set that up to go to a parsed inbox. And I'm, I'm, I'm laying this out for the people that don't have texting. You, can, you could set that up so it goes to a parsed inbox, which is a tool that Zapier has. So Zapier is a, a computer program that you use to connect other computer programs together. Basically, it's digital duct tape, right? So what email parser by Zapier will do is it will give you a, a very unique email, something you would never guess, right? A very long, so, you know, whatever. So what you can do is set up where all those emails go to this email address. Zapier will then, those emails will be standardized. So they'll look the exact same way every time. Zapier will take the info in that email. Then you can connect it to Twil something like Twilio, which is a super cheap texting program. You can text for one cent a text and a text goes out that way. So I think the way you prevent there from being slip ups, Angela, is you just text everybody that goes into pending cancel status. And you're going to get some that are like, hey, I mailed that payment. Okay, sorry. You know what I mean? But it's all about how you set it up. And that's, yeah. that's my argument. So that's why I say in the beginning, it's not that Angela and I disagree. It's that I disagree with the way that some agents look at it. Look, the, the claims that come out of this payment situation, a lot of them were because we didn't have technology. Yeah, okay? absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and like I said, the, the, mm. the agent is sitting in the office. The guy has already got his cancellation notice and the agent takes the payment. Mm -hmm. Like, like, yeah. no, no, you know, yeah. that's their responsibility. You take it. You basically have put yourself on the line now that is basically not I'm not saying that it got reinstated, but that, you know, that that payment's been received and that puts everybody in a bad situation. The accident could have already happened. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you have to look at it that way. The, and the other thing that I think I get you know, that there are certain agencies that have certain, you know, boutique kind of clients, high, high net worth clients, and, you know, they are taking exceptionally good care of them. But the problem is the agent doesn't always have the same notice that the carrier may be sent to the insured. So, mm -hmm. you know, pride themselves on taking payments or making payments or whatever else. But, you know, payments are something that the client needs to make and they need to do it themselves. They either have to call, they got to take it from their bank. I don't know what they got to do, but they got to do it themselves. It's yeah. not your job. It's just not your job. Hey, I think we beat that horse to glue. Yep. 
<laughs> so I have an agent. I got an agent out of McKinney, Texas, that just medium me a question that I think everybody here wants to hear. Are you guys ready for it? So we all have to have a, you know, insurance. Angela, you're the expert. What limits should Scott Howell carry <laughs> on my E&O policy? And why would my limits need to be different from Bradley's? Because we all get these E&O renewals, or maybe we're a new agent and we're going out to get E&O insurance. And you look at that form and you're like, it's got one, 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 three, two, 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 five, five, five. As far as, you know, I'll add to this aggregate. Angela has helped me with this very question on my E&O insurance, which is not with her. Um, she actually advised me on a, on another policy, which is awesome. That's why I like her. But then I have a follow-up question to this too. So, okay. so when you're starting out and you're new, uh, you know, your carrier or your network, your insurance agency network will drive what that should be. So most everybody start coming in, they're going to have revenue that first year of probably less than 150,000. So limits of one, one to get your carrier contracts to meet whatever obligations you have. And the reason why we listen to clients is because, you know, high limits are not always the answer either. So what you need to do is come, come, come to grips, right? That if we have revenue of a million dollars or 2 million or three, that's when we need to start looking at limit increases. Overbuying limits only puts you as the last man standing in the room, because if you're the only one standing with high limits, the carrier is going to settle out right before you and leave you handling the bag. So you want to have good limits to meet the needs of your revenue. Okay. Some people, if they're commercial lines, right, those limits might need to be higher because you're writing business owners policies, commercial, maybe wearing warehouses, you know, and maybe the limits aren't adequate on those properties that you're insuring. Personal lines, high value, you know, most people, if you're not writing high value homes, you're not in California with the fire, you're not in Houston, Texas with hurricanes, you know, your limits can be adequate at one, 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 two, or one, three, but that exposure of commercial lines creates that. So if you're 50% commercial lines, 50% personal, you're going to take that next step up. Okay. So, because so you have more exposure. Let's let, let's use Scott as an example. Okay. okay. I'm 60% commercial. I'm 40% personal lines. We write a lot of really big habitational accounts. Sometimes the TIVs on these accounts <laughs> run into the, you know, tens of millions of dollars, right? Total, total insurance value. My gross revenue again, guys, I'm not afraid to pull my pants down for anybody. You call me and I'll send you my damn five last five year tax returns. I don't give a damn my revenue for 2021. This is a ballpark figure, but it's pretty close is around $1.5 million in revenue. What limits should Scott Howell have on his E&O? So Scott would tell me, Angela, this is a family-owned business, okay? I have X amount of employees, and then I have, like what you said, I have 60% commercial. So if I'm at 1.5 million, and then you tell me that, you know, maybe the highest thing that you're writing is maybe, at, what, 10 million in value, 20 million? What's the highest value? 
I, I, I couldn't accurately tell you okay. some so, big, big, big accounts. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're, you might want to be looking at three, three. Um, you may want to be looking at uh, something where um, you have like a split limit, like, you know, a three, five or a three, six, so that one claim up to three, but multiple up to six. Um, and territory has a lot to do with this, right? So um, if you're in exposure or, ter you know, exposure territory where, you know, we have weather related catastrophic events, you know, you're, you're going to be thinking, well, if I have a lot of claims at one time, okay, that's your exposure. Most people don't have catastrophic claims unless it's a weather event or flooding, right? Yeah. Fire, something like that. So you're talking about a one-time complete burn. And, and by the way, the, the biggest losses th th this year, in my opinion, have been complete losses. So in the past, we had frequency, right? And they didn't hit the limits. Right. And the past two years or three years, I have seen 100% losses. Now, that might be because the structures are older or more cat events, you know, like the 100% the fire. I mean, literally just, you know, we just don't see that a lot. We see partial loss, right? But freezes, fires, and things like that have created total losses. Now, that's that's where, you know, you've given your client, here's what we're insuring against, and here's your co-insurance clause, and here are the things that, you know, if you have a complete loss, if you're a good agent and you tell that guy, here's what your complete loss is, you're not going to have a problem. But if you underinsured that person or that building was not was too old to get adequate insurance, that's where you got to reach out and get your back pocket out and give some sort of coverage form saying we cannot insure you to replace this building and there's right. no insurance available. And you're, and by the way, you're free to go use any insurance agent in the world to get this building covered. Right. Okay. You're free. Talk about the importance of consent to settle. Consent to settle for the majority of agents that are small, um, you know, there might be a hammer clause in it. The reality is, is that most people that are, again, making a half million dollars or less of revenue, you're not going to go to court. You're not going to spend your time. You need to be writing insurance business and taking care of your customers. Um, if you feel like you've been wronged by your E&O carrier, that's fine. You can go back and say, look, I really don't think we should settle this at this time. If it's something under $40,000 that is a bumper, a car, a minivan, you know, you're going to go ahead and settle it to get it out of the way and get it off your plate. Yeah. Consent to settle typically in the past, it's built into some policy forms. In the past, it's meant for people that have a legal team. Now, most of our independent agents don't have a legal team. Now, Scott, he's got some family members, you know, I mean, he might be able to handle it. But the majority of time, you're going to be, if you're writing a certain line of business, and you've got a, a, a staff attorney and you think frauds happened, um, then you might decide that that's a good thing to do to not accept the carrier's settlement offer and to go ahead and continue to fight that because you know either the fire department said this is suspicious, it was arson, this guy went you know your crazy clients. or whatever. Yeah, I mean, anything can happen. But for the majority of people that are, you know, revenue under half million, you don't have time to fight the court system. You don't have time. You might if you have time to go it, meet your attorney. It, it, is the consent to settle, is that in like two font on your E&O policy that some policies 
include a you're get you as the agent are giving us consent to settle this is that what you guys are talking about because i don't even know what that's okay i, mean, so I, consent, I think i know what consent to settle yeah, is but every, i don't know if i do yeah every policy has consent to settle meaning that the carrier and i say every one of them but the majority of them consent to settle means that the carrier brings you an offer they would like to make to the guy's minivan that was not insured but the bumper fell off and they had a small accident it was five thousand dollars you basically, as the policyholder, say, you know what, that's a fair offer. I'm going to pay my deductible $2,500. You make that offer and let's settle it. A hammer clause means that in that policy says, carrier, Mr. Carrier, I do not agree with what you're representing as $5,000. I think this, I think this guy lied about the bumper. I don't think there was an accident. And I don't want to settle this and I don't want to pay my $2,500. So the carrier, if you have a consent to settle clause, a hammer clause, will allow you to go out and hire, hire either the, or maintain the same attorney that the carrier has or hire your own and try to go negotiate this um, at a lower price. And so is that, is that something you can add to your E&O policy or something you can request or is it just something that's in it? Yeah, no, the consensus settles in it. Um, yeah. You can add a hammer clause to it. And some okay. policies already have the hammer clause in them. Okay. Um, some you can add by endorsement. Um, a lot of carriers feel like they don't want to settle. You know, you are the client. Yeah. I tell this to people all the time. You are the insurance agent and is your E&O policy. It is not your clients. It is not the consumer's E&O policy. It's yours. So you, you know, you have to agree that you think this is a wise settlement or why it wouldn't be. Um, carriers have been, you know, settling E&O matters in, in most cases for, you know, 40 or 50 years. So, mm. you know, when you're right, you're right. Um, and I think they want to try to help you. But in, in the case of getting rid of something that's $5,000 today, they could turn into 50 because of, you know, other matters. They just rather get rid of it for $5,000. I mean, you know, you don't have to accept it. So I have two follow-up questions. There's a lot of crappy E&O policies out there, in my opinion. When agents are looking at their E&O policy, what do they want to see? What are some endorsements that, in your opinion, agents have to have on their E&O? And, and we've all done it. I did it. When I opened my agency, you know, you're, you're, I was on a, a shoestring budget. I had to buy the cheap E&O policy that got me the appointments we all know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say the names. I don't want to get sued. Uh, speaking of E&O, what, what should agents look for in their E&O policy? Yeah. So the first thing is, is punitive damages, um, consent to settle, duty to defend, no absolute exclusions. You know, um, now nuclear war, okay, you know, but we shouldn't have absolute exclusions. First dollar defense. We should have first dollar defense um, and we should and we should have defense outside those limits. So those are the major things, you know, um, exclusions are here's the let's talk about it in another way. What what exclusions are normal? Well, crime, you can't steal money from yourself and expect your E&O carrier to to cover your cr criminal background. Right. You cannot expect. Well, wait, wait a minute. You're right about that. But what if one of my team members steals the money? Is that going to be excluded on the E&O? If it was intent, yeah. Now, some in some cases, the carriers will try to get those policies all reinstated for you. 
right? And so let's say, let's say somebody comes in and dupes a whole bunch of policies. Okay. And I've actually had this one happen. And by so, the way, guys, you know, insurance agents, listen, y'all need to be writing this shit down. I'm writing this down. And if is. I'm writing so it down, I. you need to be writing it down. Go so, ahead. I'm sorry. Andrew. So okay. So let's just say somebody issues a whole bunch of false policies in your office and takes the down payment, right? The ENO carrier is going to come in and try to reinstate those policies with the with the with the insurance company, right? Because the only person that's been harmed is the consumer. So nobody wants that to happen. So if that policyholder paid X amount, a lot of times between the E&O carrier and the carrier, they may waive some of that down payment or something, or they may have to go back to the consumer and say, hey, here's what happened. But in order to reinstate your policy, we have to start over because we want those customers to get back in on the policy as soon as possible. So no claims actually happen. But as far as the insurance agency getting their money back for the for the money that was stolen by that employee to reimburse the time period, that's probably not going to happen. Okay. So a lot of times that sometimes the, the, uh, and this is where the, this is the dire situation. You may not have the wherewithal to go to a bank to get that prorated premium between the time that that policy was started and the time that policy was found out to be false, right? And you have to go reinstate it. So typically the carriers work with the ENO carrier to get all those policies reinstated. Now there may be some uh, premium and uh, in between, and sometimes carriers will let the agent pay that out. Um, sometimes they will let, um, you know, sometimes the agent will have to go get a bank loan. Um, sometimes a premium finance company will help them. Um, but you know, you you know, it's a that's a bad value proposition right there. Yeah. So. ENO does not have to do that, except for they do not want you to have an ENO claim because there was failure to get the policy put back into place. And I've seen this with thousands of policies, not just a policy, right? Thousands of policies. So it's in the public's best interest and the carrier's best interest and the agent's best interest to get all this taken care of, wrapped up and everybody back, you know, insured. Because when does the loss happen? It happens when you're uninsured, right? right. So your ENO, although if you're if you the owner took the money, no, the, the, no, they're not going to help you. But if something like that happened within the agency, then the carrier would come back and, and try to obviously pay for that. What are some more exclusions you can expect on your ENO policy? Um, you can expect if you're not licensed there and you write insurance there and you have a claim. Uh, no coverage. Okay. You have to be licensed in the state that you write with. Um, every policy follows licensed services. Okay. So you have to be licensed. I, I, and I know that I, you know, people, I've got to get licensed. I've got this big deal. I got to get this, you know, added to my ENO and da, da, da. And the first question is, well, are you personally licensed there? Because you have to get yourself licensed. You have to get the agency licensed. And so these policies follow licensed services, uh-huh. right? So you're not licensed, don't go or get licensed and then go. Your E&O policy doesn't know if you're licensed or not. It's just following that. So you want to make sure you're licensed before you write that business there. That's a one that people kind of overlook because you get, you get, oh yeah, I'll get licensed and, and whatever, but mm-hmm. you have to make sure that you're, that you're um, licensed. Uh, the next thing I think that would be a um, uh, thought process on the exclusions is um, uh, exclusions 
for pollution um, ex- because, you know, you could have an auto accident, they could have a trucking accident, whatever, you can't have that. Um, you can also have um, exclusions that on products. So if you're writing securities, you're writing, you're a financial advisor, you're writing mutual funds, you just want to make sure that that policy either needs to be endorsed with those services or includes them if you're licensed for them. Okay. So a lot of people get licensed in securities or, or mutual funds, life insurance, or whatever. Typically, ENO policies do not cover life settlements, premium financing of life cases. Okay. They're not going to cover anything that's uh, out there that's Again, it'd be a specialty coverage and you would need to find out. Most of our average E&O policies, though, cover so many of the services that we write every day that you don't really have to look. I look at exclusions and just make sure, hey, my contracts, if I have contractual liability, if I'm writing with Safeco and I fail to, to do something for Safeco in my job, will I have contractual liability? Yes, I will, because my policy has it in it and I have a contract. Um, independent contractors big one. If you're going to have independent contractor, you need to have something in place that says, here's your services you render for the insured, for the, the, the name insured on my E&O policy. Here's when I can fire you. And here's how I pay you. If you don't have those things, you can also be in a, in a pickle, you know, later on down when you're, when that person has done something um, and they may not even done it for you, then maybe they worked on behalf of somebody else and you get dragged in. Maybe they wrote, these are my favorites. You don't have a market. So they yeah. wrote the property over here and they wrote something else over there. And then nobody talked to each other. And we had a claim that was basically a gap in, in coverage. So now who's, whose fault is it? So in closing, I have one more question. And do, I do that, too. Okay. Well, I got the I, most, I got the most important question of the day, but go ahead, Bradley. When I ask this question, I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of agents that go, Ooh, I've never thought of that. The latest and greatest trend in the insurance industry, in my opinion, that has been taking over like wildfire the last few years, virtual assistance. Right. How do I make sure that my ENO policy adequately protects and covers the actions of my virtual assistants? And does that vary based on if I go with an ENO or, you know, company, uh, a VA company like CoverDesk, or I go direct and hire them? And if so, how does it vary? Right. Hey, that's a great question. So virtual assistants are probably no different than any other vendor you use or any other tech product you use. So you have to look at it as a vendor. You have to look at it just like any procedures you have in your office. And is that the case if I hire direct as well? Well, again, it's a, it gets down to how are you running your office? If you're going to, well, if you're going to operate that person as they're not. Okay. So let's get down to technicalities. Yeah. If this person is not in the United States, they're not a natural person of the United States, right? But they're a person and they're a human. And do you have to be located in Houston, Texas to work for Angela Schroeder? No, you don't. So the, the industry itself and the way that these policies are compiled over years was for people to have direct control over every person in their office, right? COVID pretty much got rid of that thought. That cat got out of the bag. That, that cat, that cat's out of the bag. But you start reading these policies and you go back and 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 I'll have thousands of people come back and say, well, so-and-so said, you know, they weren't in my location and they weren't here. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so what's the disconnect? 
The disconnect is it's no different than having somebody else in your office that's unlicensed. There has to be control. There has to be procedures. And they are not an, an agent that is able to issue licensed services. Now, what are licensed services? Every state, every state has what they call licensed services on the DOI, okay? So Iowa versus Texas versus California or whatever. So what you want to do is make sure you're not having anybody that's not licensed issue licensed services. It has to be supervised. Now, I was 15. I went and worked in my dad's office. Now, back then we had endorsements that we had to type triple copy, right? Or, you know, on carbon paper even. So am I licensed? No. But was I able to do the back office under the supervision and it was released by my parents? Yes. Uh, you know, so you have to look at it as, you know, what do you have in your office to prevent these people from, from you know, not handling stuff that, that a licensed agent should be handling to your customers. Now, in today's world, a lot of it's tech, right? Um, so if it's technology and they're basically, you know, performing emails on behalf of or whatever they're doing, you know, again, it's up to that workflow. There are large insurance companies that use back office. There are large wholesalers. Uh, you know, any type of company is probably using someone. So it gets down to your procedure. What should you be, why are you afraid of an ENO claim happening from your virtual assistant if you have a procedure? Why are you afraid of it? So if you don't, if you're afraid of it, then you don't have procedures and you shouldn't do it. If you have procedures and you have a workflow, then you shouldn't be afraid. There's two ways to handle it. Number one, you can get a separate policy for your VA. Sometimes a virtual assistant company actually has ENO for them. Um, you can get a separate policy. I can write you a separate policy for Lloyd's. If you're so worried about it, come over here. It's $2,000. You know, you can have one. Um, and it will cover for that back office for the insurance agency. So if you're worried that that person is going to go out and randomly do something with no control, then you can have that separate policy. Okay. But those people... And anybody else that works in your office should not have such overwhelming control that it would cause you a problem. And if you don't have controls, you shouldn't have any back office. Okay. You need to hire people that are in your office that you can supervise every day. I would think you would have a lot less liability exposure going through a VA company like cover desk. And what's Wesley? You, uh, do. you do. That's why I asked. That's I'm a big proponent of going through another company. What's yeah. Wesley's company's name? I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Agency VA. Agency VA. I would think because I know that those guys have policies in place for their VA. So you right. do have a lot less, in my opinion. Uh, it's definitely something to think about. You know, Now, if you go out and you hire you a bunch of VAs direct, I would think, well, you, you know, you probably got a little more exposure there. I don't know how much, but yeah, I guess that depends on everything Angela just talked about, right? Yeah. And by the way, the, the one thing that's probably has to be generated and, and these and actually things are going to happen for E&O because, look, is it better to have a VA and have adequate help when we can't find anybody to hire? Or yeah. is it better not to have anyone and you're in your office 24-7 trying to get the back office done? Right. So. You know, so you have speaking to, of uh, failure to bind. <laughs> yeah, failure to bind. So, what can you do to to help 
to help everyone. So I think there are going to be E&O resolutions with our E&O carriers, and maybe it's going to be an endorsement. Um, Maybe it's going to be, like I said, a separate policy that we just get for VAs only. There will be a resolution because we're pushing for it. Um, The other key thing about this, a lot of their jobs are tech related. So they're entering in data. So the main things agencies should be worried about is do you have adequate cyber coverage because they're, they're typing in information if that information is misdirected or whatever. Adequate cyber, right? Adequate training. And, and procedures. And the reason why we, you would use a VA like CoverDesk or whatever is because they have procedures in place that here's how we do it, right? And you know how they do it and you're trained just like the VA is trained. So it's supervision. And some people, after they use a VA, uh, you know, I have people all the time, well, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to um, hire, you know, I, I know this guy and I'm going to hire him, whatever. They're doing that because there's not enough workforce here. So, you know, it might be money because of it, but it also is because do we have somebody we can even pay $25 an hour to, to physically go in and just enter data all day or come in and out, you know, just taking care of back office mail, scanning, putting it in the system putting in an AMS, what, what, what are we asking for, right? So everybody has a different need. Um, and I think those needs have to be addressed from the owner's perspective, because they're the ones that have, they're taking a quantified risk that I can have someone or I can have no one. So what is that risk? And, and that's what people are faced with today. It is a balance equation, but that's a balancing, that's a balancing your risk business. management. Yeah, it's risk management. That's right. Hey, Angela, I got the last question of the day. I'm going to give you two minutes to answer it before I got to get off here. Okay. Um, so last year I paid $4,500, give or take, for my ENO insurance, right, through my carrier. This year I just got my renewal notice without any changes, which I need to make some changes to it. And without any changes to it, it jumped up to $5,700. So it was about a I want to, it's a pretty healthy increase. So I talked to my guy that I get my E&O through and he was telling me that my carrier had taken some kind of ridiculous, like 200% rate increase across the country. Wow. What's driving the increase in E&O amounts that people are going to be paying this year compared to last year? So I like the barometer effect. So everybody starts off at one, you know, and then we add commercial lines and we add claims or whatever else and the, and the barometer changes. In this case, it's the market that changed. So we have probably, um, I think you'll probably find that most of your premiums are up eight to 9% because of property value maybe is increased. Um, inflation. Uh, inflation. Uh, we also have claimsflation, right? Uh, it's my new word, claimsflation, because Ooh. everything's going to cost more. I have this Tahoe. I can't even get the window fixed because I don't even have the window, right? So it's going to be a little bit of everything that creates the margin for these companies. So in professional liability, it's not necessarily the carriers having a huge rate increase. What really is happening is revenues are going up and that's creating part of the increase. But in some cases, it's territory. Um, We've noticed that there's a lot of carriers on the coast, um, you know, that have had to even reduce limits. Okay. I had that happen Um, to me. Yeah. Reduce limits. Yeah. 
and and then you have to go find excess or we have to go find another quote. Um, so those are the, the driving forces, but the cat losses. So if you have to kind of look at it as an industry-wide um, Band-Aid, but um, everybody's E&O should be going up between eight, five, five to eight percent. Again, these are not on the smaller clients. These are going to be on on books of business with probably, you know, a half million to a million in revenue and up. Um, so we're going to see the largest increases there. You're going to see the next largest increases if you had a claim. So those claim-free debits are over if you had a claim, and they're going to take that that experience for being good what away. If, what if you had to put them on notice, but there was nothing paid out? You should be okay. They're going to take away that they can take away the claims free debit um, and just bring you back to one. They may say, I'll take, uh, we'll, we'll take a little bit away. Um, or if there was nothing paid and it was just something that, Hey, I called in, you know, I had the situation, but it got resolved. The carrier actually paid the claim. You're probably not going to see a whole bunch mm. of, of issues there. But what we have seen is a restriction in the marketplace. Okay. Where um, some carriers are going to be going out. Um, we have some players in the marketplace that may aren't offering adequate coverage and carriers are getting tired of replacing that. Um, so if they're tired of replacing it, people are asking for midterm changes or whatever. Some carriers are saying, you know what, we're not going to replace that. Sorry, you bought it. You shouldn't have bought it. And we're tired of dealing with it. Um, but overall, overall MGAs and Scott, I don't know if you're an MGA or a wholesaler, but MGAs and wholesalers are going to have increased costs because typically they're carrying the higher limits and those higher limits are coming at a cost. Okay. Because most carriers want it, their one one pricing is okay. Two two might be okay. Once we get to two four three three, some of them aren't even willing to go past three three. Got you. We got. Hey, Angela, I've got ten other questions that we don't have time to, so we got to bring. <laughs> we got to bring you back on. Yeah, not a guys, problem, guys. As I end every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Listen to this podcast twice today. Eno is very important. Something that we all have to have. It's going up as we just talked about. There's a lot of things in there. I think Bradley understands ENO a lot better than I do because I remember when he started his agency, he did a lot of research. He was looking for the best policy at the best price. And I remember he and I talking about, you know, him reading all these policies and he didn't want this one, but he wanted mm-hmm. that because this one had that exclusion and this one didn't. And and so I, I, you know, reach out to him, not me, because I don't know as much about <laughs> it as he does. But uh, Angela, yeah, yeah. As I always end every podcast, guys, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big bad world, build relationships, write good business, make money for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids' college fund, and for your parents that are struggling out there today. Go make money for them. Write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Angela. Angela, Oh, thanks. Great podcast. We are going to definitely have you back on for my my next 10 questions for you, okay? Absolutely. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com. 
or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.